was a wretch I remember who I was I was lost I was blind I was running out of time sin separated the breach was far too wide but from the far side of the chasm you held me in your sight away across the great divide left behind heaven's throne to build here inside there at the cross you paid the debt I owed broke my chains freed my soul for the first time I had hope Thank my place laid inside my tomb of sin you were buried for three days but then you walked right out again oh death has no sting and life it has no end for i have been transformed by the blood of the Dark from the darkness into glory. 
morning and uh, well good morning and welcome to Fusion uh, to those here to those joining us online it is uh, good to be together here once again uh, reading from God's word as we uh, light the Christ candle from Ephesians 2 for Christ Jesus himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came, Christ came, and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. The word of the Lord. God's people say, thanks be to God. A little different rhythm as I'm up here, and that's because we are um, kind of reintroducing or introducing a new element in our worship service. Uh, We are um, what was formerly the um, greeting hour. Do you remember the greeting back before COVID? We are, uh, not an hour. Thank you, Pastor Sarah. (laughs) To be clear, it will not last an hour. Uh, But the greeting time where we greet one another, um, we are bringing that back with, but with intentionality and a more liturgical intentionality. It's in tradition, the passing of the peace, and this is from our worship source book. It says this, Christ's work of reconciliation offers us forgiveness for our sins and the possibility of genuine fellowship and reconciliation in community. Thus, in many Christian traditions, after hearing the words of assurance, worshipers are invited to share gestures and words of reconciliation and peace with another. So instead of greeting one another saying, hey, good morning, how you doing? Or for some of you like, I don't know what to say and it feels kind of awkward, we are going to offer the peace of Christ. It's simple and yet it's profound in its power and significance. Here's some examples of, the, of a more liturgical format. We're going to use something more like number three where as Christ has given us peace through Christ, so let us pass the peace of Christ with each other. After we light the Christ candle, we're just going to say, Express Christ's peace with one another and we'll stand and we'll say these words of your choosing. All right, so now we kind of give you some words. Peace of Christ, Christ's peace, peace of Christ be with you, grace and peace be with you, peace. And uh, as you know people and know their comfort level, you can offer gestures as well. Does that make sense? Are you with me? We're not going to explain it like this every Sunday. (laughs) We're just going to invite you to stand and offer the peace of Christ. But we wanted to give some reasoning why we're doing what we're doing because it's profound. Because we are reconciled to Christ, to God the Father through Jesus Christ and because of Jesus Christ, we're reconciled to one another. Uh, in Christ, whether we have some differences, you know, in light of what's going on, like we are reconciled to one another. It's profound, it's simple, and uh, it's a cumulative effect. As we s- begin this rhythm, our prayer is that it begins to form and shape us, that we are people of peace. And is it going to be a little awkward maybe at first? Yeah, but have a little fun with it. And uh, at this time, I'm going to invite you to stand and express the peace of Christ uh, with one another.
our worship through song. Let's sing Standing Here. Standing here in your presence, thinking of the good things you have done. Waiting here patiently just to hear your still small voice again. Holy, righteous, faithful till the end. Savior, healer, redeemer, and friend, I will worship you for who you are. I will worship you for who you are. I will worship you for who you are, Just to hear your still small voice again. Holy, righteous, faithful to the end. Savior, healer, redeemer, and friend. I will worship you for who you are. I will worship you for who you are. I will worship you for who you are.
else commands all the hosts of heaven? Who else could make every king bow down? Who else can whisper and darkness trembles? Only a holy God. What other beauty demands such praises? What other splendor outshines the sun? What other majesty rules with justice? Only a holy God. Come and behold him, the one and the only. Cry out, sing holy forever, a holy God. Come and worship the holy the whole 
Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Such a beautiful song. Who else invites us to call him Father? So appropriate on Father's Day. Only a holy God. Only a holy God. At this time, I would like to invite the kids. Um, you know who you are. Aubrey, you need to stay there. I know you'd like to. No. All you kids can head on over. And um, we're going to give a blessing, as we've been doing for the last few months. We don't even need rehearsing anymore. It just comes very, very naturally. And it's a beautiful, beautiful blessing. The numbers keep growing. It's a wonderful thing. All right, kiddos, are you ready? Adults, you got this? The Lord be with you. Amen. Good job. Have a wonderful morning, everyone. Will you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Eternal God, in whom we live and move and we have our being, we ask that you bless us now as we continue in our morning of coming together as your children to worship and to glorify you. We begin with the words from Psalm 145, verses 3 through 9. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another, and they tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I, we, will meditate on your wonderful works. Lord, bless us with your love, that through your love we may leave this place Today, shining your light to a very fragile world out there, just outside our door. Lord, bless us with your mercy that we too may learn through your example to be patient and caring, willing to share each other's joys and sorrows, to not only forgive, but to be forgiven. And sometimes that's even just forgiving ourselves. Bless us with your peace that we may be calm and sure in all circumstances, trusting in you with confident hearts as we seek to live in harmony with our family, with our friends, with our coworkers, with our neighbors. Most of all, bless us with your presence, that within our hearts, you, Jesus Christ, will be our epicenter, our ever-present help in times of trouble, always embracing the promise that you walk daily, minute by minute, navigating this journey called life with us. We give you thanks as we find ourselves in a season of celebrations, many rites of passage, weddings and anniversaries, many, many open houses. We give you thanks as families get a welcome reprieve from the hustle and bustle of the school year. As we slow down just a bit, we pray for safety and a time to reconnect through this gentle pace of this season. Today, we celebrate Father's Day as we embrace the words from 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16, where it says, I will be a father to you. 
and you will be my sons and my daughters. We know that Jesus used the name Father more than any other, and it's the name he invites us to use as we address the creator of the universe, the one who has always been with us. And you and I are invited to call him Daddy. We too pause to give thanks for our fathers, our grandfathers, our stepdads, foster dads, uncles, and those men in our lives who have come alongside us as father figures, as mentors, guides, and caregivers. We also acknowledge that this too may be a very tender day. As some live in the midst of fragile and broken relationships, and others may have lost loved ones this past year. So amidst the cookouts and the gifts, help us to be sensitive to those who struggle with this today. Lord, this morning we lay our family before you, those facing challenging situations and decisions, so many dealing with cancer, whether receiving treatments or under the compassionate care of hospice. Still others in our communities are anticipating surgery or, on, or in the midst of recovery, and others who find themselves overwhelmed by the waves of grief. May they know that you are the anchor in the eye of the storm, no matter what. As we embrace Psalm 55, where it says, cast all your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. We give you thanks for the safe return of the Honduras mission team, for Jake's wise and humble leadership. Lord, once again, we are in awe of how you have provided for the team, challenged them, most of all, sustained them through their non-wavering faith. Thank you for the numerous lives that continue to be deeply impacted by all that was and will be accomplished in and through your name. We pray for the 18 students and four leaders, Zach, Kelsey, Rebecca, and Greta, who left yesterday for a week of worship and service through Colorado Challenge. Also, we pray for the Chicago Roseland team of eight students and two leaders, Mark and Michaela. We pray for safety and good health and throughout this week of ministry and adventure as the Holy Spirit cultivates the hearts of all involved. And Lord, there are so many others who need a special touch from you. You know who they are. Help us, each of us, to be alert and aware to those whom you will put in our path today and every day. Pour wisdom into our hearts so that our actions and our words and our choices will not only be a blessing and pleasing to you, but a blessing to those around us. And now in confidence, we release these prayers into your hands as we join together in the prayer that you taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mary. We kind of joked, I always get nervous that whoever's praying is going to steal my sermon notes, but, uh, but she left them, so that's good. <laughs> Just wing it, yeah, let the Spirit lead. 
Hey, uh, hey, good morning. Once again, Fusion, good morning, good morning. It is, uh, it is good to be back uh, this week. Um, last week we were away. For those who didn't know, it was my nephew Thomas's baptism in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And so it was just a wonderful weekend. Uh, and just grateful to have that time away with family and friends and all things Wisconsin. So I think I bought a couple pounds of cheese curds, um, like the, the squeaky kind, not the fried kind, if you don't know. Let me tell you some other time. Uh, also, I've caught myself at the zoo calling a drinking fountain a bubbler. Does that, anyone? Okay. If you know, you know, okay. Wisconsin, we call a drinking fountain a bubbler. Have you heard that? No, okay. Some have. Thank you. But it's good to be back. It's really good to be back. Um, just a couple of things, uh, reminder of what's coming up this week. Before we go into that, um, just also to note, it's Father's Day, but it's also an important day in our nation's history. It's Juneteenth. And, uh, and just to kind of acknowledge that this commemorates uh, the day, June 19, 1865, when the last of the slaves actually found out that slavery had been abolished. And so we celebrate and we recognize this important day as our country took a step toward equality and justice for all. Uh, but a couple of things here in our, in our time right now. Next week, I want to say that we're going to have a potluck uh, at the pavilion on June 26th. It's also the third grade Bible presentation, and so you're not going to want to miss it. Third grade Bible presentation. And then we're going to have a potluck. We're going to grill up some burger, not burgers, actually, hot dogs and brats, another Wisconsin influence there. And uh, if you have a, a dish to pass, you're invited to do that. If you're not able to pass a dish, just come and enjoy fellowship at the pavilion. And then July 3, you'll notice in some of the announcements, we're going to have an all-campus combined service over outside Pavilion as well. So just a couple of things coming up. But today, we're continuing a series, a series where we're digging into God's Word, considering our thum- summer theme of wisdom. It's a series, as the graphic shows, we're calling uh, Everyday Wisdom. It's a journey through the book of Proverbs. Just put that Bible Project poster up there for reference um, because it kind of helps us remember that we learned two weeks ago that the book of Proverbs isn't really a linear work. Like there's not a linear track that you follow through the book of Proverbs, uh, but instead the Proverbs and the wisdom literature are more of like a tapestry, kind of woven beautifully together to help us wrestle with and grow in the wisdom of God. Again, we're going to be using Tim Keller's daily devotional as our guide on this journey. And so far, we've addressed two questions to kind of review. Week one, we looked at what is wisdom? Important question. And then last week, Pastor Corey Pluckmeyer led us through the second question, what is, what is foolishness? Two very important questions. What is wisdom? What is foolishness? This week we look at another important question. How do we become wise? How do we become wise? We're going to get at that question in the next two weeks, but for now, let's jump into our text. Proverbs chapter 2, we'll be reading verses 1 through 10. And if you're willing and able, I invite you to stand as we hear God speak to us this morning. Proverbs 2. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it, wisdom, as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. 
He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair. Every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You join me in a word of prayer. Lord God, once again, we, we thank you for your word. Lord, words that have been preserved for generations. And we pray once again, Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears so that we might receive your truth through your word this morning. And in hearing your truth and your wisdom, Lord, may we be shaped, changed, and challenged. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So as, as has been mentioned a, a few times already this morning, today is, is Father's Day. And if you didn't know that, you're welcome. Um, most, most remember, I, I suppose. Typically it's Mother's Day that requires the last minute run to Meyer or Target for cl- cards and flowers, etc. But if you are in a bind today, and you need to find a little gift for uh, dad. Uh, I think Target has a really great uh, necktie selection. Um, does anyone else always get their dad neckties growing up? Am I the only one? Okay, I'm the only one. Just kidding. Anyway, in, instead, I w- just want to focus, as a, as a father, um, as a parent of, of a five-year-old as well as almost nine-year-old, uh, one of the things I've been noticing is that there's this shift that happens in our, in our kids and I don't know when it happens. I'm sure it varies between kids, but it's, it's a shift that happens somewhere between the ages of like two and five. And I, we've talked a little bit about this, at least on the, on the, the, the younger spectrum. Um, but two-year-olds, they want to do everything, right? I think we've talked about this. Uh, anyone remember their two-year-old with the refrain, I do it, I do it, you know, like asserting their self-will, I do it. And they, and they want to do everything. Uh, usually it's regarding things that they honestly just can't really do well, Right? Amen? Yeah, like, uh, like mowing the lawn. Now, don't let your kid mow the lawn except unless you have one of those plastic mow- uh, mowers. Um, or clean up their toys. They want to, actually, no two-year-old wants to clean up their toys. I take that back. But things like making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I do it. I do it. And, and what happens if you let your two-year-old make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? It's, it's, it creates this gigantic mess. It's gross, right? And it takes, and when you let them do things, it takes way longer than it would take if, if you just decided to do it yourself. Again, we talked about this. But here's the shift that I've, I've noticed as my kids have gotten a little bit older. There's a shift. Five-year-olds and above, they don't want to do anything. Can I get an amen? They don't want to do anything. It, there's like this shift like from I do it to you do it. You know, it's like, I, you know, I ask my, and I love, you know, I ask my five-year-old, hey, it's bedtime, we got to brush our teeth. Oh, you know, it's like they collapse on the ground, like, I don't want to, I don't want to brush my teeth, you know, or, or can you clean your room, please? You know, can we just clean the room? And it's like, I'm so tired. I just, I can't even move. It's like, well, we better go, you clean up my room. And anyway, and then you use all these little parenting tricks and, it's this extreme. I do it to all of a sudden they get older and, and you do it. And I'm guessing that we have more in store, right? Maybe as our kids get older, I'm seeing some head nods. I do it to you do it. 
Now here's the curious observation. It seems like there's a similar parallel with this extreme dynamics in our relationship with God. There are times in life when, when we want to take control and we want to say to God, no, I got this. I'll do it. I'll take care of it. Maybe, maybe it's subconsciously. We don't even think about it. And then there's other times in our lives when, when maybe we're overwhelmed and it's just like, you know what, I don't even know what to do. God, you take care of it. I don't even know what to do. I give up. I do it. You do it. Same kind of di- dynamic in our posture toward God. And, 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 if, and if, if it's kind of the extreme of one or the other, I'm not sure if it's all that helpful. Now, there's the same kind of false dynamic or tension or here's another word, paradox, when it, come, when it comes to, to this question of how do we become wise? Is it up to me or is it up to God? Our text actually this morning kind of names this tension and if you read quickly, you kind of miss it. But right here in verses five and six, there's this change in tone in the proverb. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. So there's all these conditional statements. If you do this, if you do this, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. You will find it. Then verse six. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So on one hand, there's this, you will, you will do these things, you will find knowledge of God. And on the other hand, but it's God who gives wisdom. And so the question is raised by this tension, is wisdom something we pursue and obtain through human effort? Or is wisdom something that is given from the Lord? Is it I do it? Or is it God, you do it? Now, maybe you noticed while we were reading verses one through five that there is this focus on the pursuit of wisdom here on the left. If you, and it goes on, accept my words, store up my commands, turn your ear, apply, call out, look, search, all of these is you, human beings, are the the mover, the, the ones who are doing the action. And then starting in verse six, it all shifts and suddenly it's God who is the primary actor with the verbs being used. For the Lord gives wisdom. For the Lord, from his mouth come wisdom and understanding. And then it's God's action and God's action. Did you notice that shift? And, and in just these, these few verses, Proverbs seems to suggest that the answer to the question of is wisdom something we pursue or is wisdom something the Lord gives, the answer seems to be Yes, right? Both. It's important to remember both of these realities when considering the question, how do we become wise? Now, for the next two weeks, we're going to focus on this question. This week, we're going to focus on our part, right? Our part in pursuing wisdom. Next week, we're going to talk about how God gives wisdom and and how do we put ourselves in a place to receive that wisdom, but let's, before we jump into our part of pursuing wisdom, what I want to just quickly do is, is do a little review. What is wisdom? Kind of a review from week one. Remember, wisdom, uh, does anyone remember the Hebrew word for wisdom? Oh, it's on the screen. There you go. There you go. Chokamah, right? Or chokamah. You want to say that with me again? Chokamah. Yeah, it's kind of a fun word to say. Chokamah. The word for wisdom is chokamah. And again, as we learned two weeks ago, it's, it's not just information, it's not just knowledge. Wisdom in particular, godly or biblical wisdom, is applied knowledge with kind of this balance of the fear of the Lord. 
Wisdom is applied knowledge with this healthy fear of the Lord. In fact, verse 5 kind of captures both of these ideas. If all of these conditional statements, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God, or another word for wisdom. Again, Wisdom, chokamah, is knowledge lived out, as we learned two weeks ago, in discipline, discernment, discretion, with a healthy fear. And, and a couple weeks ago, we talked about what, is, what do we mean by fear? That's not terror, right? It's not terror. It's fear of the Lord is about reverence and awe that produces within us a certain level of humility, recognizing that God is God, we are not. And out of that, we live out of a desire to please God, so it produces this kind of moral framework. Fear of the Lord Knowledge, applied knowledge and wisdom. The moral framework produces a wisdom that is distinct from the wisdom of the world. Now, actually I was struck in small group on the refrigerator of one of our small group members, uh, James chapter three. And James chapter three actually says this better than I ever could, so I'm just gonna read from God's word. What's the difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom? We read, Who is wise and understanding among you, writes James? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic even. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness." Godly wisdom has this moral framework, uh, a foundation that is shaped by the life and witness of Jesus Christ, shaped by Jesus Christ's own teaching and his own living example that we read about in the Gospels. And this kind of wisdom is not self-seeking or ambitious, rather it's humble, loving, and self-giving. That's important to remember throughout this series. Here's another thing to remember about wisdom. Wisdom is like hidden treasure. Verse four, our text states that we should pursue and look for it and compares wisdom to hidden treasure. And if you look for it or wisdom as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, you see wisdom, particularly wisdom for specific situations and decisions sometimes feels hidden and more difficult to find. It's like hidden treasure, right? Some situations, decisions, wisdom, wisdom's clear, right? We know the answer. It's like a very simple uh, example. Here's, here's a couple of examples of, of very simple decisions that you might face. You're a student, and, and someone gives you kind of the answers to a test. Should I, should I cheat and get a good grade on the test, or should I actually do the work, study, and learn the material? What's the answer? We know. Study for the test. Don't cheat, right? It's very simple. Or, or how about this? You're, you're walking down the street, and you see a wallet on the ground, do, do, I, do I pick it up and keep it? Uh, or do I turn it in, right? And, and so that the owner can find their wallet. Or do I do something in between and pick it up, take the cash out? Okay, yeah, anyway, right? But we know what the right answer is. Wisdom says, turn the wallet in. So, it, right, that's a simple example. But some situations, some decisions require a little more discernment. Here's an example. How do I respond to my child who's, who's making poor life choices? 
particularly as they're an adult. Like, what do I do with them? How do I love them well? How about this? Just parenting in general, can I get an amen? <laughs> Requires a lot, of, a lot of wisdom. Here's a more lighthearted example. Let's say your, your, your husband or your boyfriend, you know, comes to you, you maybe they just took a shower or something, they come to you and they've shaved all their facial hair except for that lip broom. You know, why did I say lip broom? I don't know, like a mustache, right? <laughs> and, 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 and mustaches are kind of getting cool again, okay? But you're like, I'm not so sure how I feel about that. Like, what do I say, right? How do I respond? Okay, that's kind of a fun example, okay. Some instances require a little more discernment. Now, we've talked about this for the last couple of weeks. Not everything, especially last week, uh, Pastor Corey talked about, not that everything is simple, black and white. Situations, issues are more complex and there's nuances and there's a range of perspective and it requires discernment and discussion and wisdom, which is why wisdom is worth pursuing, something that we should be and hopefully are growing in throughout our lives. So the question is, how do we, how do we pursue wisdom? What is our part in this pursuit? Here's something that was brought up at our pastor's meeting this week. Pastor Aaron pointed out that in these, in these just four verses in chapter two, um, there are eight unique Hebrew verbs. All is conditional statements. If you do this, if you do this. Eight unique Hebrew verbs. If you go to chapter four, there's another nine additional verbs, all unique additional verbs. And, and, and as Aaron was doing a Hebrew study, when you do like three or so unique verbs, uh, English words for each of those Hebrew words, that's over 50 possible English translation, English words used that we are called to do here in these couple passages. It's abundantly clear that we are asked to actively pursue wisdom. The question is how? Pursuing wisdom. Instead of doing a word study on 8 to 17 Hebrew words, which would take a really long time, but it would be a lot of fun, I thought it'd be wise, if you will, to do a little consolidation. So here's my attempt to condense and identify paths of wisdom. There's, there's the different Hebrew verbs listed in those, two chap- in those two verses, those sections, selections. First, as we think about pursuing wisdom, here's the first way that we pursue wisdom, through God's word. We pursue wisdom through God's word. For us, this means the written word through scripture. Chapter two opens with these words, my son, If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Notice the the progression here. Accept my words. Believe the words. Do we believe the word? Then we store up the commands or in, 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 within you. In other words, memorize the commands, memorize the scriptures, let them dwell within you. For the ancient peoples, they didn't have a written text It was oral. They heard it and then they memorized it. So the scriptures, the words, the commands dwelled within them. And then starting with verse 2, it seems to suggest a kind of interpretation and application of the word, right? Turn your ear to wisdom. Listen to wisdom. Apply the word to understanding and apply your heart to understanding. Discern what it means for your life. Do we believe Do we let the word dwell and then do we turn our ear to wisdom applying that word to our lives? It's a beautiful, beautiful couple of verses. See, here's the thing, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago as well. Scripture does not give us simply commands for every circumstance that we might face. That'd be impossible. That'd be an endless book. 
The Torah, so the first five books of the Old Testament, contains over 600 commands. 600 commands. Well, even, even Jewish tradition, there's an oral tradition that was later written down as the Talmud, and that added thousands of more commands and expansions on the commands and explanations of the Torah. If, we were, if it was an instruction book for all of situations that we might face, it would be an endless work. Instead, the scriptures, for us as Christians, interpreted through the lens of Jesus Christ, give us a framework a structure, a foundation of wisdom from which to discern the best practices and ways to live and engage with the world. Because the spirit of the law is not always evident right away. It comes with time and experience and meditating on the word. You only build that framework as you meditate and dwell on the word, on the scriptures, but not just the word written, but the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. We dwell with Jesus to learn and to grow in wisdom. As I was thinking about this, here's, here's a way to understand this. You know, I have very limited knowledge about cars. I, actually, I don't know hardly anything, right? But, but I can YouTube things, right? And so some of us have done that, right? So I, I have a little maintenance thing, and so I search on YouTube how to, how to refill the coolant or fill up the coolant, and so I can get that instruction, or I can look at my instruction manual and find the instructions of that specific thing I want to do. Can we all agree that that's vastly different than the mechanic who took our car this week, right? Who knows how a, a, the engine and the machine actually works, has had experience making mistakes and fumbling around, and knows how to, how to troubleshoot problems when they come around, right? There's a difference between an instruction manual and experience and a life lived in wisdom and knowledge. Are you with me? Through the scripture, but not as an instruction book. Secondly, not only do we pursue wisdom through the scriptures, but we pursue wisdom through prayer. Verse three, picking up on verse three. Again, this is written as a father. Uh, again, the chapters one through nine, there's 10 speeches from a father to a son. Uh, kind of interspersed between those are four speeches of lady wisdom. This is one of those speeches between a father and son. It says this, indeed, if you call out for insight, if you cry aloud for understanding, here the implication is simple, ask for insight. Ask for understanding. Ask for wisdom. As, as Corey mentioned last week, wisdom calls out. Wisdom's available to us, so we seek wisdom from God, and we do this in primarily prayer. This is true for the ancient Hebrew reading these texts several millennia ago, and they continue to be true for us as the church of Jesus Christ today. Here's the unique twist for followers of Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit, do you realize we have direct access to the Father through, in Jesus Christ? We have direct access by the power of the Spirit to, to commune with Jesus Christ who is the wisdom of God personified. And we have that access through prayer. In fact, here's a promise written in James, in James chapter one. Someone pointed this out to me two weeks ago. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And here's the promise. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. God desires to generously give his people wisdom. And notice the context, particularly in situations that are difficult, trying, contentious, and require perseverance. 
Do any of you have experiences like that maybe this week? Call out to God for wisdom. Trust in his response and his timing through prayer. Related to prayer, because sometimes God answers our prayers and our calls for wisdom through other people, we also pursue wisdom through community. Number three, we pursue wisdom through community. Notice the entire framework, again, of this part of the Proverbs is a speech from a father to a son. Verse one opens, my son. Verse, chapter four, verses one through three on the screen, the same dynamic is expanded on, right? Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. For I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Here in Proverbs, this is framed as as words of wisdom between father and son, which is certainly an important and formative relationship, right? And we acknowledge that dynamic. And we see this this same truth played out, though, in a variety of of contexts and relationships. Here's Here's the bigger idea for us, is that we can pursue wisdom through other people. Parents certainly have that responsibility in their kids' lives, right? Parents certainly want to pass down wisdom and knowledge to their kids. I I think about my dad, right, who passed down all kinds of of knowledge and wisdom, some of it more trivial than others. The more trivial stuff is the stuff kind of from like those State Farm commercials. You know, I see my kids jumping on the couches and I'm like, they're not going to last if you keep jumping on the couches. Or they leave a door open and it's like, I'm not paying to air condition the whole neighborhood, right? Right? Some of those more trivial things. But, but my, my dad also passed down to me some, some really deep wisdom things, particularly as, as a son growing up in the house of a, of a pastor. My dad modeled a humility in that role. That, man, I want to emulate that. My, my dad emulated and, and lived out this, this attention to his, his kids to balance that, that, that pull and that strain of ministry and yet that longing to be present in your family's lives and your wife's life. I want to emulate that. But there's also spiritual mentors, right? It's not just parents. There's, there's spiritual mentors, like spiritual parents who, who teach and model wisdom. This past fall, we started Faith Friends, right? And we've, we've matched adults with our kids. And, and do you realize that you have this opportunity as a faith friend to be a living example of the compassion and care of Jesus Christ in a child's life? I don't know if I can overstate the importance of that. Or for those who are downstairs right now teaching our children and being a model. And we're gonna, we're, we want to revamp our children's ministry and our volunteer pool. There's all these opportunities to serve and to be a living example so that we can pour wisdom and love and compassion into our young people. I've heard of testimonies from small groups within our congregation, small groups who have walked with one another and been the presence of Jesus Christ through some of the most difficult moments you could face. There is power in that. And there's wisdom that comes through love and compassion. In fact, it's one of the beautiful things about Hardwick's ministry model. One of the things that drew me to this place was the fact that we have, it's very unique, three worshiping bodies, one, one church body, right? Three different preaching pastors, and every week, Pastor Bill, Pastor Aaron, myself, we, we gather and we discern and we learn from one another, and when we have successes, we cheer them on, and when we have, they cheer. It's this beautiful model. 
Pastor Sarah and I, meet, we, we meet every week to discern and talk about what's the best way to care for this congregation here at Fusion. There is something beautiful in collaborative sharing of wisdom and ministry through community. Finally, fourth, we continue to pursue wisdom through the lab of life, through experience, through life experience. Verses nine through, uh, seven through nine, much of the focus on wisdom is, is the wisdom lived out, right? The upright, the blameless, the just. That's, that's wisdom being lived out. And then it culminates in verse nine. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. Then you will understand righteousness, justice, equity. Those are the meanings of those words. Friends, you do not come to an understanding of righteousness, justice, and equity. First of all, apart from God, we can, we, we'll get to that next week. But secondly, you do not come to an understanding of those things apart from life experience. I spent three years in seminary. And, and, and we can spend hours in a seminary classroom debating and arguing about different hypotheticals situations, right? But until we are walking with real people through real life struggles, struggles like, like marital discord and unrest, addiction, underemployment, lack of adequate housing, the list could continue. Until we are walking with real people who are going through difficult circumstances, how do we really know what's best? And I'd argue it's even difficult to know exactly what's best even when we are walking with people going through those struggles. Too often, and myself included, we, we, we grandstand from the sidelines thinking we know what is right and what is just and what is fair, but if we're not living in it or at least walking with those who are, and even in all that, we should be quick to listen with compassion and love and humility. Life experience. On a slightly different note, what's the best way that people learn? Best way we, we learn is from our mistakes, right? One of the best ways that we learn is, is from our mistakes. Failure can be one of the greatest teachers in our lives, which is a shame, like, we've become, like, failure-phobic, right? Like, our culture is like, no, don't fail, don't. No, we need to make mistakes, and we need to have grace when people do make mistakes so that people can actually grow and mature and develop. It's why, it's why parents, as parents, we should be praying that our kids at a very young age make hundreds, maybe even thousands of mistakes so that they can learn from the consequences of those mistakes when the consequences are pretty small and minuscule. Now here's the thing though. In order for us to learn from life experience, we need to, to be in the practice of, of being humble, to being self-reflective, being honest and attentive to when we stray from, as the proverb says, every good path. Because friends, if, if we are constantly trying to justify our failure, deflect responsibility, or blame others, then our failure and our experience will be wasted. See, life experience can be a teacher of wisdom, but without some level of self-reflection and prayer and honesty, we will remain trapped in the path of folly, justifying our mistakes all along the way. We learn wisdom through life experience, and we pursue wisdom through Scripture, 
through prayer, through community, through life experience. So how do we become wise? Is wisdom something we pursue or is wisdom something that God gives? Is it I do it or is it God, you do it? Again, the answer is yes. Wisdom is both. Something we pursue and something that God gives. Here's the example from our kids because they are often the greatest teachers, right? But the child who demands that, that they do everything on their own, the, the, the young child who's, who's self-assertive and says, I, I do it, I do it, I'm gonna do it and refuses any kind of instruction from their parents, what do they do? They try making a peanut butter jelly sandwich and they end up making a mess of everything, right? But on the flip side, the child who demands that their parents do everything for them. No, 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 you, you do it. And the child who lives as, a, as an honored guest in their own home, never required to do anything or contribute to the family, what, they end up being entering into adulthood not knowing how to do hardly anything. Laundry, well, I don't know, you know. Those extremes are unhelpful. Instead, the best parent-child relationships are more dynamic. There's a give and there's a take where the parent allows a child to contribute and participate when able at, 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 in household tasks, right? It's a relationship of love and grace. And, and there's, there's discipline that creates a safe place for our kids to, to mess up and learn and grow. Now, I just said something that sounds, that's really difficult, okay? Amen? That's really hard to do. It's dynamic and, you know, but similarly, our Heavenly Father desires for us to participate, cooperate, and grow. He has wisdom to give, and he wants us to do our part in pursuing that wisdom. Why? So that in that partnership, we begin to grow and mature. And who are we growing and maturing more and more into? The likeness of Jesus Christ. And there's this dynamic relationship that happens between our Heavenly Father and us, his children. And friends, here's where the... the this table in front of me becomes a powerful and beautiful picture of this dynamic. First and foremost, the, the sacrament is a sign of God's gracious work on the cross. Christ, out of love for you and me, willingly laid down his life on the cross. This is all grace. I'm not going to mince words here. It's all grace, completely the work of God. There's nothing we can do to add or take away from this gift. But did you notice something? At this table, we are invited to come and to receive the sacrament, to receive the bread and the cup that was broken and poured out. We're invited to, to take a step toward Christ in faith. Now here's a sad reflection. Too often I've, I've heard friends who've, who've felt unworthy to receive this gift of grace. Who have felt like, well man, I, I don't know if I really lived up to the standard this week and so I'm not sure if I'm really worthy to partake in the Lord's Supper. Here's the reality. You're never gonna live up. That's not the point. The point is we take a step of faith understanding that we will never live up to the standard but we are forgiven by the grace of Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ has done everything needed for our forgiveness and we are simply invited to come and to receive this gift in faith believing that Jesus Christ is enough. The grace of God 
that's received simply in faith. Let's pray and ask that the Holy Spirit would make that alive in our hearts. Will you join me? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you are, you are not a God who is, who is distant, but Lord, you are a God who is present. Lord, that you are a God who, who loves us, who calls us your beloved children. And Lord, your longing and your desire is, is for us to grow, to grow in wisdom, to grow in, in character and love. And Lord, you've made a way. Lord, as we prepare our hearts to come to your table, we remember once again, Lord, the cost of this life. Lord Jesus, that you willingly gave of your life, that you died on a cross, and three days later, Lord, you conquered death, making a way for us to be in this relationship with, with you and with our Heavenly Father. So Lord, we ask that you'd prepare our hearts. Make us once again keenly aware of the extent of your grace and your love. And may, Lord, as we partake in the bread, as we partake in this cup, may we be mindful of your gracious presence in our lives that unites us as your people. We pray all this in Jesus' name. God's people say, amen. Just some brief instruction. We have two stations up front. Uh, when invited and when you are ready, uh, you'll be invited to come forward uh, down the side aisles. You will be handed a piece of bread and then you are invited to take a cup, partake there, uh, and then work your way back around and return to your seat. For those who are uh, more comfortable, we have some, um, some of the cups at the table or there's a gluten-free station in the back also with some individualized uh, portions as well. Does that make sense? All right. Let's remember the events that final night of Jesus with his disciples. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he, he took bread and after giving thanks to God, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. For the body of Christ and the blood of Christ were given for a complete forgiveness of all of our sins. Amen. At this time, I'd invite our servers to come forward and uh, get situated. And as the worship team begins the song, as you feel led, uh, you are invited to come for all things are now ready. Let's have a meal Let me reveal who I am 
I'm your Savior I will kneel down And wash all the sin from your soul I'm your servant I am all you And my blood washes you clean I'm the pure sacrifice Let my life give you life I'm the for all I'm redemption I am all you need oh, I am everything I'm the man that was saved and my blood washes you to stand and sing this little refrain with us.
from falling to the only God. Be all glory and honor, majesty and power for all ages now and forevermore. Let's sing that again to the only. To the only God who is able to keep us, able to keep us from falling to the only God. Be all glory and honor, majesty and power. That's on me. I turned my mic off. So, as I was just reflecting, um, the words of Jesus came into my heart and mind where Jesus says, Seek, you will find. Knock, the door will be opened to you. Ask, it will be given to you. As we pursue God, the promise is, He will be found. Rest in the promise, rest in that truth. And as you go from here, enjoy some fellowship, some donuts, and the peace of Christ that has been given and poured out to this body of believers. Receive this blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. You took my place, laid inside my tomb of sin. You were buried for three days, then you walked right out again. Oh, death has no sting, and life it has no end. For I have been transformed by the blood of the
Oh, 